Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. I, t- I gotta tell you, I've loved, I've loved singing this song, Same God, as we've been learning it recently. I've loved how it talks to the steadfastness of God. Sometimes it feels like there's such a a distance between the biblical stories that we read and the everyday lives that we live. And yet we're reminded in a song like this, I just absolutely love it. God, you were saving people then and that's what you do right now. You're in the business of rescuing people. And God, I read the stories in the Bible and I see how you provided for the, your people all throughout, even when they didn't know what you were doing, they didn't know how it was coming about. I get to read the story and I get to see, oh, no, God, you, you had your eye on your people all of the time and you loved them and you cared for them and you were providing for them. And that gives me such confidence that when I don't see it right now, that God is, he's watching, he will, he's able to meet my every, my every need. And I love this line, this line the song kind of builds on, it says, you set the captives free and you're setting hearts free right now. You're setting hearts that have been captive free right now. I love that because when I read the Bible, I find that freedom is like one of the biggest refrains from beginning to end. That the people who turn to God, he sets the captives free. And it's an incredible promise all throughout the pages of scripture. I love how Isaiah 61 says it. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. How many of you have felt afflicted before? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. How many of you have had a broken heart before, right? And to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. And this was true in Isaiah's day. It was true in a temporary and circumstantial way. But Jesus in Luke 4, did you know this? Jesus said Isaiah 61 was all about me ultimately. He said, I'm the one who was sent to bring the good news. I was the one who came to set the prisoners free. That's why John 8 says, uh, who the Son sets free, who the Son makes free, they, those are the ones who are free indeed. Romans 8, we looked at earlier this year in depth, Romans 8 too says, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. This is why 2 Corinthians 3 says, now the Lord is spirit, And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, help me, freedom, liberty, right? Absolutely. This is the message of God throughout the pages of the scripture, victory. It's the cry of victory. It's the cry of relief. It's the cry of delight and the cry of joy for the people who know God. And the Bible tells us this is the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. It's to set us free. But can I tell you something? Just between you and me. Don't go out and tell people this. Between you and me. I sometimes struggle to understand it. I don't mean intellectually, like I get the concept of of the freedom thing. But experientially, I sometimes really struggle to live in this change. To know what on earth is living in freedom supposed to look like. And I've noticed this tendency in myself, and I've noticed it in other people, that even when we are set free, we have a tendency to not live free. You get that? Does that make sense? 
Like, I, I think about this. Like, God, what is this freedom really supposed to look like on Tuesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday? What is it supposed to look like at work and in my home? What's it supposed to look like with, honestly, with sin? What's it supposed to look like in my finances? What's it supposed to look like in the choices that I have to make? How do I apply freedom to all of the situations and the seasons of my life? Because we live in a day and age where, like, the choices are... I mean, almost limitless at this point. And if you're not happy with the, the finite choices, then you can just go to the metaverse and live there. And it is infinite, right? And so I look at this and I go, well, Lord, how do I make the right choices? The choices that maximize this freedom and not be a person who has spiritually been set free. It's the promise of God and it's sure in my life. And yet I, I keep turning back and I just don't, I don't feel free, right? Do you feel that way sometimes? I suspect you do. I think this is an issue that people, God's people for all time and all places have, have shared in some way and in, in some season of their life. In fact, in the Exodus story, this was the situation for them as well. That's where we'll be today is looking at the people of God all the way back in, in Exodus as they were set free from slavery. For, for over 400 years, Israel had been captives in Egypt, in every way of their life, socially, politically, economically, spiritually, they were not free. Somebody say, not free. Yeah, they were not free, but God, best stories always have that in the middle somewhere, right? They turn on that, but God delivered them. God set them free from slavery in Egypt. He opened the door. He said, you may go now. He, he parted the Red Sea. They were liberated. They were set free, and yet... They were not living free. They weren't living free. How would they know how to live free? These are people who had never had any experience with freedom at all in their life, in any way whatsoever. The, the first generation of the Exodus, they were born into slavery. They were born into bondage in every facet of their life practically, and it had been that way for over 400 years. How would they know how to walk in freedom? Open the door. That's great. But how would I know how to live in freedom? I have no idea what the concept even means. Here's the good news of their liberation. God in his grace didn't open the exit door of Egypt and say, go on now, you're free. Good luck. No, God in his grace and love and care for them said, let's go. Come out the door with me. Come out here and live with me. I'm God and I'm really good at being God. And my eye is on you. I care for you. You come live free with me. I'll show you how to walk in freedom. I'll show you how to not to fall back into bondage, which is the habit of, of so many of us. I will guide you in the way that you should go. That's how God brought them out of Egypt. And so here's what I, I want to do. You know the story. What happens is they come out into the wilderness, and within 50 days, God gives them the Ten Commandments, right? He gives them the ten words of law. And this wasn't to take back the freedom that God had just given them. I mean, he had just liberated them. This wasn't to take that feeling back, but instead it was to guide them, to enable them, to ensure that they would not just freedom would stop at the door, but they would walk in freedom and they'd continue to experience it. So I want to look at the Ten Commandments. I, six, eight months ago, this was stirring in my mind and heart that our church would dig in and begin to understand the heart of God and the law of God, that we would understand what it is he really is doing when we open this book and we find instruction. What's the heart of God in that? And I think what we'll find is it's nothing of restriction. It's not trying to steal life from us, but no, it's trying to, to usher us into something that Jesus called abundant life, how to walk in 
abundant life with God. I think we'll find that if we, we study this together, if we'll commit ourselves to it. So grab your Bible, turn to Exodus 20. If you don't know where the Ten Commandments are, it's real easy. It's close to the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, find chapter 20. What you might be surprised to find, some of you might be surprised to find that when you get to the Ten Commandments, it does not start with a list of do's and don'ts. It actually starts with the declaration of the gospel. Listen to this, Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. What was God doing? God's reminding them of his good work at setting them free. God's reminding them that he is the God of their salvation. And then almost immediately sets them free, then he gives them the law. Right? And the order is critical. The order is important. It is salvation first, it's gospel first, and law second. That order is, is vital to understand. How do we say that around here? We say from, not for. I say that a lot, don't I? Say it with me. From, not for. That means that my walking in God's ways, my desire to obey him, my desire to follow his rules or his instructions, his statutes, isn't in order for me to try to earn salvation. It's not for me trying to earn acceptance from God. No, it's about me living from a place in which God has saved me. He has delivered me. The, The law is given to follow undeserved deliverance from God in my life. It's not about how to get free. It's about how to continue walking in freedom with the Lord. So today, I want to look at the first commandment, which is in every way the foundational commandment upon which everything else, everything else is built upon the first command. Exodus 20, take a look at it. Verse 1, then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here it is, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. There are three things I think are tucked right into this first commandment waiting for us. Three incredible promises, three incredible works of God in these words, you shall have no other gods before me. And I want you to see this morning what God has done with this one brief line, this commandment number one, God has first exposed the truth to us. We'll see what that is, that truth is in a moment. He has enabled relationship for us. And he has ensured that we will walk in the experience of freedom. He's ensured that we can continue to experience the freedom that he gives. All wrapped up in these eight words, you shall have no other gods before me. Those three things I want to walk through. The first thing tucked into, wrapped up into this first commandment is he has exposed the truth. In the first commandment, God has exposed the truth. What's the truth? The truth is that there is one God. How many? There's one. He is real. He is for you, and he will not share his glory with another. God has exposed that truth within this command. God says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now listen, what God has done here is given a double truth that he's claimed. He says, I am the Lord, your God. That first word, Lord, is the word Yahweh. Yahweh, I am the Lord. It it refers to his name that means I am the one of great power. I am the eternal one. I am the one of, of complete significance. I am the God. I am the one through which everything was made. I am the everlasting one. I am the God. I'm Yahweh. So he says to them, 
I am the one. And then he says, not only am I the one, I am Elohim. I'm Yahweh, and I'm also Elohim. I'm your God. And it signifies that he's saying, I have a relationship with you, a personal relationship with you. I rule you. I am the God, and I am your God. So, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what he says. He says, get this straight. There's only one God. It's me. I'm really good at my job, and I have turned all of my attention upon you, and I will not share my worship with any other. Now, notice this. He doesn't say there are no other gods. Do you see that? The Bible does say that. It says that very clearly in many other places, that the Lord is one, God is one. But here he doesn't do that. Here, he's giving a command to a people who have been deeply embedded, living for hundreds and hundreds of years in a polytheistic society, right? They have... Those who are living their entire lives, but for generations, lived deeply consumed in a culture that worshipped many false gods. And there is interpretive speculation, and I just will call it that. There's some fascinating, intriguing idea that God's ten plagues that he used to move the people, to display his power, to declare, I have a hold on these people, and you will do what I say, Pharaoh. His powers that he demonstrated through the ten plagues, people have speculated, match up or correspond with different Egyptian deities. It's, it's kind of an interesting, fascinating thing to travel down. Now, there's no verse here in which God says, do you see the correlation? I did this. It's not there, so it's just speculation. But it is interesting, in fact, to notice the people of God were for hundreds of years embedded in a polytheistic culture where they worshiped many gods. And among those gods, they had a blood god. They had a, a frog god. They did. They had a, a sun god. They had on and on and on. And when God began to say, look, I'm here. I'm going to give you a sign of my power you're going to release my people. What did he do? He gave plagues, and among them he turned a river uh, from water into blood. Okay, blood God. He heaped piles and piles and piles of frogs all over the city that they're walking through nasty, stinking piles of frogs. Okay, frog God. And what did he do? He made the sun go dark for three solid days. It was so dark, the Bible says, that no one could even move around. It's like the blackest of black, the darkest of dark, the nightest of night. And on and on and on. It's interesting because whether God specifically intended to correspond with these Egyptian gods or not, what did he do? He made a mockery of all of these so-called rivals that the people in Egypt were worshiping. And the people of God, the Israelites, had been living amongst them. In fact, Jen Wilkin said, she had this interesting comment about the first command. If the God, the God who toppled all rivals in Egypt has brought you out of Egypt by his mighty outstretched arm... The only logical response is to obey the first word. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, it's not only that God will not share his glory with another, but it's God has proven all other gods to be false, to be fakes, to be phony, to be worthless, to be impotent in every way. Now, you and I live in a world that is full of the worship of many gods, we are. And it's not just the big deal isn't just like emblems and symbols and statues that belong to cultures and religions. The big issue is that we people will make pretty much anything into gods in our life, into little false gods in our life. They're very much a part of our world. And sadly, sometimes they're even very much a part of the church. 
show you what I mean. In Martin Luther's larger catechism, he had a question and answer that helped us to understand how we do this. He asked the question, what is it to have a God? What does it mean to have a God? And here's his answer. A God is that from which we expect all good and to which we seek refuge in all distress. That upon which you set your heart and place your trust is really your God. Look at this again. A God is that from which we expect the good things in life to come from. A God is that to which we seek refuge, whatever we seek to hide, hide under or hide whenever we're facing danger or trouble in our life, where do we go to hide? And it's where we put our heart and our trust. That becomes God in our life. So, for example, if you, you trust in your wealth, if you're seeking good to come from earning and accumulating wealth, if you seek that to be the, the thing that has your heart, then you make that a God. If your physical health, being a healthy person, being a strong person, is what matters to you, I can make it as long as I, my body works, well, that can be a God to you. Your wisdom, your pursuit of knowledge can become a God to you if that's what you place your trust in. Your civility, your morality, that you're a good person, that can become a God to you. Your good deeds, your good works, that you go out and you're trying to make a difference in the world, that's great, but it can become a God to you if you're not careful. If that's where you go to feel good, and that's where you go to hide from the bad, and if that's what really has your heart, it's just doing, doing, doing good things, it becomes a God to you. Even grace, even the, the nature to be kind and gracious to people, to be a loving person, if that's what you trust in instead of God, that becomes God to you. And you can follow that with a, a list of pretty much anything. Pleasures and appetites, your children. How many of you have a little baby Buddha running around your house ruling the home and ruling all the decisions that you make? Your children are your children. They're not to be your gods. They make very poor gods, right? Your goals, your ambitions can become God to you if that's what you go to to seek good in life. Things will be good for me if only I reach this position or this place in life. It can become God to you if you go, my ambition to, to get to this, to experience this, to achieve this, that is how I will protect myself and my family for generations. If only I can get to this place, then it's become a God to you. If that threatens or seeks to rival the one Yahweh Elohim, the one true God, you have begun to replace the God with these little gods. We're so good at this, aren't we? We're so very good at making things and people into little false gods in our lives. And this is the truth that's exposed in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The truth is exposed that none of these little gods are in fact gods. They're phonies. Misdirection and empty promises. They cannot secure your life they cannot save you. And this is why God, before he gets to do's and don'ts, this is why God begins with, I want you to remember who I am. The God and your God. And I want you to remember that I'm the God of your salvation. That I've brought you out of the house of slavery. Right? This is what's exposed here. There's one God, he is for you, and he will not share his glory with another. Why should Israel not worship any other gods? Because all the rest are fakes, they're phonies, they're impotent, they're worthless, they're a distraction, and they don't help. The truth is exposed here, and that's just like woven in. Should we worship no other gods before me? Well, it's logical. <laughs> Why would you? Now, the second thing that's woven in here, sec the second thing is the first commandment enables relationship. It enables relationship. 
Let me ask you a question. Is Christianity about rules or relationship? We'd, we'd be quick to say relationship, right? It's about having a personal, saving relationship with Jesus Christ in which you're adopted by God the Father. You're, you're brought into the family of God. You're a brother to Jesus, co-heir with Christ. The Holy Spirit who is God comes to dwell in you, to live with you, to help you enjoy and delight in this incredible relationship. We'd be quick to say Christianity is all about relationship. But it is a trick question, and some of you hesitated because you felt it was a trick question, right? It is a trick question because God says that those two things are not mutually exclusive. The order matters, but the two things are not mutually exclusive. Rules and relationship are not enemies. They are friends, as long as you get the order right. And that's why I love what Jesus said in John 14. What did Jesus say? He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Remember that? Now, what Jesus didn't say is, if you keep my commands, then I will love you. He didn't say that, did he? No, in John 13, what he did is he bent down and he began to wash the disciples' feet. An act of service, an act of devotion, an act of care, an act of love. And in John 14, he begins talking about how the Father and the Son and the Spirit had this, this beautiful intimacy, this oneness about them. And then he began to talk about the intimacy between himself and his people. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. It's a relationship, relationship statement. It's if you love me, and I loved you first. <laughs> if you love me, you'll keep my commands. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. And in this little book, I've been carrying this around. I bought it like six months ago, eight months ago, and I carried it around forever, and then I read it. I was like, whoa. And then I started reading it again, and we've got a bunch of copies in the lobby if you'd like to buy one today. It's called Ten Words to Live By, Delighting in and Doing What God Commands. It's by Jen Wilkin. She said this, and I think this is very helpful, three-word sentence, maybe one of the more powerful three-word sentences I've heard in my entire life. It will always stick with me. It's rules enable relationships. And I mean, and you go, oh, yeah, but that's done. No, but think, rules enable relationships. We are saved into a special relationship with God and thereby special relationship with others. And rather than threaten relationship, rules enable relationship. Think about this. The Israelites were an oppressed people. In every way, an oppressed people. Socially, economically, spiritually, in bondage. And God says, I hear your cry. And I will save you, I will deliver you, and once I save you and deliver you and you are free and forgiven, then I will show you a new way in which to live in that freedom. It begins like this, you shall have no other gods before me. Because if you did that, you know what would happen? If you did have other gods besides me, it would ruin, it would ruin the experience of freedom because it would ruin our relationship. It's like marriage. Think about this. In marriage, we have all kinds of rules that enable relationship. And some of them are smaller, but pretty, pretty thinking important. Like, don't forget your anniversary. It's an important rule. Like, uh, like communicate the details in your week and in your day. Don't do that. You're going to have trouble. And you keep building. There's like, get on the same page about finances. If you don't get on the same page about where you're going in finances, you're going to destroy each other and you're going to destroy the marriage. And they, they build. But the biggest of all is you shall have no other spouse besides me, right? You do that and baby, I mean, it's what do we have left? 
It's one husband for one wife, one wife for one husband, and there's an intimacy that is not to be shared with anyone. We need this. We need rules. We need agreed upon limits in order to have relationships that flourish. It's not about earning love with these rules. You know, Lindsay and I talk about, you know, how much we're going to spend on this. We create a budget. She creates a budget. I acquiesce. I agree because she's better than me at budgeting. She creates a budget. I go with it and follow the rules as best as I possibly can. And I do this because it enables us to flourish as, as a couple. All of these rules are there to help us to protect love and to shape love and to give us a space in which we can live and that love can thrive. And I think freedom in so many people's minds is like the absence of restrictions. I'm free to do anything. That's the premium in 2022. I, don't you dare encroach my freedom. I am free to think anything, define anything, and live anything in any way that I want. That's why we have the phrase, it's my truth, right? But freedom isn't about an absence of limitations. It's about finding the right limitations that define the nature of the, that, that, or I guess that support the nature of the relationship. It's about finding the right limitations that help create or cultivate a culture and a space in which relationship can flourish, about protecting relationships from being destructive. And if you think about this with the Ten Commandments, I'm going to walk through real quickly just the, the, the ten, and I want you to see how the rules enable relationship. The first one, no other gods. In other words, don't destroy our relationship by infidelity. That's what it is, bottom line. Sermon was over if I had just started there, right? Don't destroy the relationship by infidelity. Second commandment, don't make idols. Similar to number one, it's about our affections. It's about loving things more than loving the person of God. And you think about this in your horizontal relationships. If you have a relationship with somebody, but there are things, experiences, events, activities, objects that you love that rivals that person, you're going to have a bad relationship, right? You're supposed to have relationships with, with people. And things shouldn't get in the way of that. That's what the second one's about. The third one, don't take the Lord's name in vain. It's about misusing the name of God. It's about abusing the name of God. It's about disrespecting God. And if you disrespect somebody in a relationship, it's going to destroy the relationship. You know that from everyday life. Fourth command is about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day? Keep it holy. What is that about? Well, it's about ensuring that you invest in your relationship with God and you get quiet and you get still long enough to hear from God because sometimes that's hard to do when you're busy doing, 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 doing all the time. God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy so that we have time to tuck away together. And you can delight that I am the God and I'm your God. That you can know my love, that you can hear my voice. Because in the midst of the week, you may have missed me and I may have missed you. Let's go away and let's have time. To, that's what the Sabbath is all about. And then you look at 5 through 10, what are they about? They're about relationships with other people. And they give boundaries so that we have the opportunity to grow and to bless one another and to keep us from destroying one another. Rules enable relationships. Jen in her book said, the commandments graciously position us to live at peace with God and at peace with others. See, without the rules, our relationships cannot be healthy. They cannot flourish. We need the rules. We need the boundaries to guide us, to create a fence of space for us to grow. And they show us how to live in healthy relationships. Second thing. Rules enable relationships. You shall know the gods before me. The third thing rolled in here, God ensures our freedom. 
ensures the experience of freedom. Not just that we have a moment where we go, freedom, like William Wallace, but that we walk in that freedom and get to continue enjoying and growing in what freedom really might look like in our everyday lives. Two ways I want to explain this. The first way is is hinted at us in verse 2. What does God say? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. In other words, you are slaves no more. So the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments, are not about rules meant to boss around slaves. You're slaves no more, right? But it is a word to former slaves about how to live in perpetual freedom. That's what this is. We see this in the New Testament. John 5 tells us this. Listen to this. For this is the love of God. Say love of God. This is the love of God. I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about here. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, the instructions God gives throughout the pages of the Scripture to his people These aren't burdens on us. They're not meant to weigh us down or to hold us back or to steal life from us. Oh, no, they are expressions of the love of God for us. How many of us look at the laws and the rules and the instructions as limitations rather than acts of love from God? No, they're the love of God. Kevin DeYoung said the biblical definition of freedom is not just going and doing whatever you want. It's enjoying the benefits of doing what you should. (laughs) I like that. It is enjoying the benefits of doing what God has enabled you to do by his power and his grace. And most of us, I think, struggle at times to see that in the law of God. We're inclined to look at it as limitation rather than acts of love. They're there to ensure the experience of freedom for us, that it's not a one-time thing, but it's a growing thing that we walk in day after day. And the reminder that they are slaves no more is how, how we find that tucked into the first commandment. The second way I want you to see that, that in the first commandment, God's ensuring freedom, is to notice how the first commandment is the primary commandment and how it's the one, the foundational one, from which everything else flows out of the first commandment. None of the rest really truly makes sense to me without the first one. With the first one of mine, the rest now begin to make sense. I know it's primary because Jesus said so. You remember the New Testament, the scribes went to Jesus and they said, well, Jesus, among all the laws of the Jews, which is foremost? And Jesus looked at him and he said, well, you know, among the 613 sundry laws, among the 10 that were written down on stone tablets, the foremost is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Jesus says this is foundational, it's foremost. Everything else flows from here. In other words, if you think about this. If this is first, every command after this essentially is flowing out of the first. It's just an application of the first command to different areas of life. In other words, if God is your God and your desire is to keep this first command, then this is what you do. You apply number one to how you work and how you rest, to how you deal with anger and how you deal with covetousness, with how you deal with desires and how you do with your parents. You just apply command number one to every situation in your life. The rest of the commands flow out of it. If that's true, what this means 
is breaking any of the commands, sinning in any way, two through 10 are the 950,000 ways I'm prone to sin throughout the course of my life. Any sin ultimately is me breaking the first commandment. You see that? It is essentially me not worshiping God alone and saying, you are the one God and you are my God and not delighting fully in the relationship that he's given me. Any sin is really a breach of me not having complete fidelity to the Lord and loving him most. Our biggest problem isn't our behavior. Do you hear that? This is really, really important to hear. Our problem isn't our conduct. Our problem is our God and what we've allowed to be God in our life. That has to get settled. That has to get settled in our life. The command is simply, you shall have no other gods before me. And the heart that is rightly placed on the God of my salvation and the heart that really truly seeks to to honor and to obey the first command will find the rest of life begin to fall in suit after the first command. If you absorb yourself in the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You'll find the rest of your life begin to sort itself. In other words, if you get the first right, the rest begin to follow. The blessings, the freedoms achieved by God, not achieved by you, achieved by God for you will be experienced and lived in the days of your life. And if you think about that, that really means the first commandment is live free. That's the first command. First commandment is live free. I am the God, I am your God, I have set you free, have no other gods before me, essentially says, live with me and remain free. The path is, you shall have no other gods before me. So why don't I feel free? I've been at this a long time. I've been in church all of my life. I've been a Christian over 30 years. I've been in ministry over 20 years. Why do I not feel free some days. I'll give you a few reasons. I think we struggle to feel free. First, it's possible, it's possible you don't feel free because you haven't been set free. You hear that? The commandments were given by God to a people who he had set free. The commandments weren't given to everybody. They were given to people to set free that he had set free, that they would remain free, okay? If you don't feel free, it's possible that you haven't been set free. The question then is, do you know Jesus? We talked about it in Easter. Has he called your name, and have you responded in faith, devotion, and love? Is he your Lord? Have you given him your sin? Is he your Passover lamb? Is he your exodus out of bondage, right? And if not, then today's the day. I mean, why, why not today? Today's the day that you say, I can't bear the weight of this world and I'm trying to prove my identity and my worth to this world. I can't bear the weight of my sins. I can't ba- bear the weight of the expectations on me. I can't find an open door to freedom. Today is the day I lay my life at the feet of Christ and I call him Lord. Listen to Jesus' words. First in John 14, by the way, he said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, if you know me, you know the Father. So there's just some surety there. But listen to his call to you this morning. If you have not been set free yet, listen to Jesus' invitation from Matthew 11. He says, come to me, 
all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's possible you don't feel free because you haven't been set free. Today's a day, maybe it's the day, the day that you turn to Christ and experience freedom. Second reason you might not feel free, it's possible you don't feel free because sometimes we haven't fully embraced that there really is only one God to be worshipped. It's possible you don't feel free because you don't worship the only one, only the one true God that you haven't acknowledged or recognized that I, all the time, I don't acknowledge or recognize how many little false gods I'm bowing to on a daily basis. Maybe I don't feel free because I'm not bowing to, I'm not worshiping only the one true God. And, and what happens when we do this is we try to live these lives of dual allegiance. We talk about it around here as Jesus plus or Jesus and, right? Where Jesus, I love you and I also, with all of my heart, am pursuing this thing in my life. I got to have it, right? So it's, it's, you know, I'm not putting him before you, Jesus. You can go number one, but number two, this has my heart. And you remember Jesus said that you really can't live a life of dual allegiance. It's not really possible. He said this in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Or in other words, you'll always be cheating somewhere, right? And we didn't intend it this way. We never sat down one day and said, I want to be a polytheist. But somewhere along the way, we became functional polytheists, practical polytheists, where we said, I'm going to live for Jesus and my career goals, or I'm going to live for Jesus and this retirement. I'm going to live for Jesus, but my kids, kids have to have their proper place. They are a main thing if you have kids, and yet they are not God. They're very poor substitutes for God, okay? All of that's submitted underneath the one God, and he's the only one who gets to be God in our life. Maybe we don't feel free because we've come under the yoke of someone else's slavery, and Galatians gives us a beautiful word about freedom and about what we're inclined to do. Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free in the instruction. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not become subject again to a yoke of slavery. Try to have a dual allegiance. That's what we do. If this is you, put God first. Put God in the only king's seat in your life. Kick everyone else out. Clear them out. Say, you're not welcome here anymore. I still like you, but you're not God. You can do that. I, you, can, you should do that. You can go to your best friend and say, I love you, but you're not God. And I just want to remind you of that. I'm trying to remind myself of that today. You can tell your boss that. You might not have a job tomorrow, but maybe he needs to hear it. I like you. I'm loyal. I'll do a good job. But there's one God and you're not him. <laughs> good luck this week on that. Right? If this is you, though, in your mind and in your heart, you've got to decide, am I trying to have it both ways? You need to put God first. Don't try to serve two masters. You really can't do it anyways. Jesus, who knows all, who did all, he tells you that. You can't do it. It will ultimately frustrate you. Third, finally, maybe we don't feel free sometimes because we've missed the point of the law of God altogether. I think a lot of people have missed the point of the law of God altogether. I think we see this more and more. It's always been an issue, 
I think we're seeing it in, in growing ways right now where people look at the Bible, Christians look at the Bible, whole churches look at the Bible and go, oh man, there's so many rules, so many instructions, so many laws, and, and really we're a New Testament people and Jesus is love and grace, grace and love. And I'm really like, I'm on the train of Jesus' love and grace. That's what all I want to be. And the, the laws, they feel negative. They feel restricting and constricting and, and good grief. Like I don't even, they feel like there's some, some old thing. It's out of date. It was contextualized. We, you know, it surely doesn't apply today. It doesn't make sense in this, this world of love and freedom and grace that Jesus has provided for us. And what we've missed, maybe in our zeal to avoid legalism, which, I mean, please, let's. But maybe in our zeal to avoid legalism, we've missed the point of the law. and We saw them as limitations and restrictions on abundant life rather than a welcoming into abundant life. Rather than a welcoming into the, the freedom that God gave us through Jesus, that we might continue to walk in that freedom and not betray our relationship to him and not destroy one another by living in ways that are outside God's design. So maybe we don't feel free because we've totally misunderstood what the law was for. That it was there to welcome us into this life and to shape and direct us in a life that is abundant. Jesus gives abundant life. And his law shows us how to walk in it. If that's you, I love how, how one guy put it. One pastor said, you make the choice every day. At the end of each day, ask yourself these questions. Was Jesus my Lord today? Did I serve him faithfully today? Did I love him deeply today? Did I worship him exclusively today? And if you get to the end of the day and you ask the questions and in any of them are, are no, wake up tomorrow and start again. Wake up tomorrow and start again. And be committed each day to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And as you do, experience freedom. Walk in freedom. There's a learning curve. There always is in life. Some things have to die in us. We have to let go of some things to experience the greater things. Ask these questions and experience freedom. Right? Can I pray for you this morning? Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you help us now? May our hope not be in law keeping, but in Jesus who perfectly obeyed your law and died in our place. As we begin studying the Ten Commandments over the next couple of months, would you help us to feel conviction where we should be convicted, to feel inspired and empowered and, and hopeful by your Spirit and in all things, in all things, all things to let Christ who saved us, loved us, who calls us, who equips us, who empowers us and makes this new life possible. Would you help us to be a people, not just a group of individuals, but a church that walks in the light of your freedom? Would you help our, our countenance to change? May we be like Moses. May, may your glory shine off of us in such a way that it's unmistakable by the people that we, 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 we meet. And would that be a beautiful shining, a beautiful glory? They would see us and they would worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.